The following program is for informational and educational purposes only. This program does not replace medical, mental health, or psychological diagnosis and treatment prescribed by your personal physician, psychologist, therapist, or other health care provider. Please consult your provider for diagnosis and care before beginning or changing any program or idea discussed. Welcome to Psych Up Live with your host, Dr. Suzanne Phillips. This is the show that brings you a psychological perspective on common and current life issues. Here is Dr. Suzanne Phillips. Hi, folks. I'm Suzanne Phillips. Thanks for joining me again on Psych Up Live. Consider this. When you're married and raising children with your spouse, life seems hectic, funny, difficult, at times impossible, and always busy. The thought of terminal illness is simply not there. The diagnosis when made is incomprehensible. And the loss of your spouse, the mother or father of your children, is beyond words. How do you go on? How do you go on for your children? In this episode, Dr. Justin Yup, psychologist at the North Carolina Cancer Hospital, draws upon his important work and co-authored book, The Group. Seven Widowed Fathers Reimagine Life, to share the story of young fathers who lose their spouses to terminal illness and take up the challenge of raising their children. They are men who find their way in a place they never would have expected, the Single Fathers Due to Cancer Support Group. It's an amazing group. Wait till you hear in addition to being a clinical psychologist at North Carolina Cancer Hospital, Dr. Yup is an associate professor at the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill. As a member of the Comprehensive Cancer Support Program there, he works with children, adolescents, and adults with cancer. He's co-founder of the Widow Parent Program, which includes support to parents, spouses, and children. And the the site for that is www.widowedparent.org. You'll hear much more about all of these um, possible resources toward the end of the show. He's, co- he's the co-author of the book, The Group, which we'll be talking about, and he co-authored that with his colleague and co-leader, Dr. Donald Rosenstein. Dr. Justin Yup, it is my privilege to welcome you to Psych Up Live. Sue, thank you so much. It's my, it really is my honor to be on, and I uh, appreciate your uh, invitation to be on and your interest in, in what we're doing here. Terrific. So, Justin, tell us what made you form this particular group? So, I work, as you mentioned, I work at a cancer hospital. I'm a clinical psychologist, and it was about, gosh, it's been about almost 10 years ago now, um, that uh, it so happened that I was working with several young mothers um, who had cancer, and sadly, um, each of those mothers had a, a very poor prognosis, and it was around within maybe a month or so of each other that, um, tragically, these three mothers uh, each passed away, and it was during one of our team's uh, morning meetings that I was telling everyone about um, about the situation and that I, you know, had recently lost these three patients and and that I was thinking about their husbands and we got to talking about them and someone suggested that I that I should uh, refer them to a uh, a support group for widowed fathers and I said oh, that 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 that's a good suggestion. So after that meeting, I looked up and I tried to look, or I did look for a, a support group that just for widowed fathers or widowed parents at least, 
and was shocked to find that there were not only not any of those specific kind of groups in our area, but as far as I could tell, there weren't any anywhere that I could find. And I actually wasn't sure if I was looking at it right, so I asked a friend and a colleague to help me, and, and he looked and he couldn't find anything either, and it really became apparent that the specific, what seemed like the specific needs of a mom or a dad who had lost a spouse and are raising kids on their own had just been completely overlooked. And so from that, my colleague, Don Rosenstein, <clears throat> excuse me, we started talking and we said, you know what, if there's nothing out there, that seems like a, just a, an unfathomable gap in the, in, in the resources. So why don't, why don't we start one? Um, not that we were experts in bereavement at the time and not sure, and not that we had any uh, you know, experience with this specific population, but we figured that we would give it a whirl. And um, so we, we cast a, a wide net as far as we could. We put a lot of work into reaching out to finding and reaching out to widowed fathers, including the ones who I had come to know um, when their wives were sick. And that was how we got to the point of starting our first group. Mm. Now, when you did reach out, Justin, did you <clears throat> find they were readily um, interested in becoming part of a men's group? Well, not not particularly. And, uh, for, you know, first of all, it's, it's kind of hard to, to find them, right? There's no registry. There's no, nest, you know, listing. And, you know, as far as here at our hospital and others, um, if, if someone were to die of cancer, then, you know, there's really not, is not using any kind of sustained contact with the surviving family members. And so we had to really kind of uh, put a lot of work into just defining them. And of the men that we were able to locate, um, we had several who were um, just not interested and, and thought that it's not a good idea for other people, but not really for them. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that was fine. You know, we, we all grieve in different ways and some things are better, you know, for some than others. But, but we were able to get this core group of men together, um, several of which, who, who, like I said, we had known before um, when their wives were sick, and and got them together, uh, kind of cobbled them together for this first meeting. And um, you know, Don, it was interesting. Don and I kind of thought that we had a pretty good plan going into it. Our plan was that we were going to meet with these guys for six sessions. Um, and that, you know, each one would be kind of divided into us either, either teaching or, or, or kind of providing some perspective on, on some aspect of, of being a widowed parent. And then some time would be allotted to group discussion. And we were going to meet for six guys, and that's what we told them in the beginning of that first night. Um, but uh, it turns out we had a heck of a lot more to learn than we had to teach <laughs> um, <laughs> right. at the beginning. And, um, and by the end of that first night, um, we, we, we had completely changed our plans. And instead of meeting just six times, we decided to leave it very open-ended, and we would just kind of see how it went. Um, and instead of us doing a lot of teaching and, and kind of almost lecturing for each um, at, at each meeting, it, it was clear that what these guys needed and valued the most was hearing from one another. And mm-hmm. so we switched to a, pretty much an entirely group discussion format. And um, with that, we were off. Yeah, I, I love that. In a way, you both modeled the whole theme, which is we're learning as we go, which is just <laughs> what the men, which is what just what your men did. Now, um, 
I think, is this correct? You also provided food and child care, Justin, for the group members? Yeah. Yeah, you know, we 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 tried to figure out when the right time to do this kind of support group would be, and we'd settled on the early evening, um, either after work or, or after school for the kids, but there's no way that we could ask um, fathers to come and talk about the hardships of being a widowed parent and then ask them to find a babysitter right. or leave their kids. Right. That, 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 that wasn't going to work, and so um, we... We actually got some uh, some volunteers from here at the hospital to um, to really just play with the kids down the hall and 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 have fun with them, and then we also thought it'd be pretty tone deaf to have a six o'clock meeting and not feed <laughs> not feed these guys. Um, so great. you know we don't do we don't do anything fancy. It's it, it, pizza or subs, and I think one night we splurge for Chinese, um, mm-hmm. but it's 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 pretty bare bones. Um, uh, but you know the 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 family that eats together stays together, and so mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. yeah, so that's that's it. That's we only you know we only do it once a month, um, mm-hmm. and we ask the guys at the beginning again, like you said, we're learning from them, um, and really their their schedules as as suddenly only parents just seemed overwhelmed, and the idea of kind of fitting in something every week just sounded a little bit much and so we decided to make it once a month um and we've stayed with that over the last 10 years Mm -hmm. it's such a good example of using what the group needs when you're doing trauma work in terms of at some point you mentioned the magnitude of loss that was in that room for you justin what was the most emotionally riveting what were the most emotionally riveting type issues that these men were facing I, I tell you what, it was, you know, I, I, Don and I will never forget that first night um, when we asked the men who were complete strangers to one another to go around the room, introduce themselves, and just tear, share a little bit about their stories. And it was, it was really just one heartbreaking story after another. And, you know, I mean, and I work in a cancer hospital. I, I'm kind of... You know, it's not unfamiliar territory for right. me to, to deal with, to, to to deal with loss. But to hear these seven men go around the room and talk about how how just disoriented they felt, and how for some of them, that when their wives were sick, their grief started long before when their wives died, and since their wives died on and you know they were explicit about this on on day one of their new life as a single widowed father they were grieving deeply grieving the premature deaths of their young wives trying to help their children figure out how to grieve the loss of their mom and at and then figure out how to be a a, a single father and do everything around the house on your own and we one of the guys shared a story. Um, it wasn't that first night, but at some point he, he shared shared a story about how all these how all these things came to conflu- came in confluence for him on the first day when his wife died. His wife had been uh, sick with a, a exceedingly rare kind of bone cancer for adults, um, and and really fought like hell. Uh, but her, her her disease, unfortunately, was 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 way too way too aggressive. 
um, and she passed away. She she died sometime in the night around, I think, like 2 or 3 o'clock in the morning. And he, and, and he had just lost his wife and spent the next three or four hours grieving that and trying to figure out how to tell his children when they woke up. And his children were young. They were at the time, they were two, four, and six. And so he's been, his children woke up at like 6.30 in the morning. He's been grieving his wife's death for not even four hours, barely. Mm. And then he has to figure out how to tell his kids and how to broach this topic with them. He couldn't just kind of go into his own corner and go into his own silo and just grieve. He had to, Mm. he had to be there for his kids and he had to tell a two, four and a six year old that their mom had died. And he, he got them all in the same bed and, and, and told them that morning. And he said there were a lot of tears and the younger ones were taking the cues from the six year old. Um, but there were a lot of tears. And then after about 20 minutes, his four-year-old said, Dad, I'm, I'm, I'm hungry. Can I have breakfast? <laughs> and then it was, you know, he couldn't just wallow in his grief, right? He had to do, he had to make breakfast for the kids. I mean, he, so within that brief period of time, he was grieving his loss, trying to help his kids understand and comprehend their loss. And then he had to get breakfast on the table. Mm-hmm. And that was, that foreshadowed what he and each father experienced in their loss. It wasn't just their loss. It was their family's loss. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, you know, these, I mean, you might hear in the way I talk about these, these guys, they, 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 I just admire the hell out of these guys and, and they mm-hmm. kind of hold a special place in my heart. And I, I'm so, um, it, it, we were so impressed with how during our meetings, they could really go there and they could, you know, they would smash every stereotype you might think about how guys process grief or about how guys can't be emotionally vulnerable. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, they, they went there with the hard stuff. They spoke <clears throat> uncomfortable truths. They, they cried. They laughed. A lot of laughter. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was just an emotionally diverse and rich meeting every time we get together with these guys. Well, one of the things that, and the book is just, I want our listeners to know, it is is not only enlightening, it's just so moving. One of the things they were offered when, when I think of young fathers or, or even the, the young mother groups that I've run after 9-11, but one of the things that you offered is they offered substantive validation to each other. There's nothing, they could not have said these things to their in-laws. They couldn't have said yep. it to anyone who didn't walk in their shoes in some way. And that was part of the power here. I mean, because you described some are somewhat reticent private men. Others are just very much out there. And they really create a safe place to narrate the unthinkable together. Now, for our listeners, one of the things that, two things that I think that you say that I want to underscore. One is, as difficult as it is, the children gave them a purpose to go on. That is, as you say, you can't cry in the corner when the kids are asking, what are we eating? So 
in some ways, the children are gifts. They're gifts anyway, but they're unbelievable gifts in times of the unthinkable tragedy of the loss of a parent. The other thing is I wondered if you could explain to our listeners the dual process theory of grieving because you do mostly sharing of the group and you just learn by reading the book, but you also sprinkle through very, very poignant theory. So I wondered if you could explain that to our listeners. Sure. So, you know, as I mentioned, when Don and I started this, we were not grief or bereavement experts. Um, And I think like a lot of people, we just kind of had in our mind kind of the five stages of grief that you, you know, I think pretty much everyone has heard about and and is at least somewhat familiar with. And we didn't really know much about it per se, but uh, we kind of went along with that. But after we really started doing this group just for a few months, we thought, you know, we, we, we need to become better educated about grief theory. And the more we looked into the five stages of grief work, uh, the, the, the more we kind of found that that did not really match with what we were hearing from these guys. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, there's a lot more than five emotions. There's nothing linear about it. And it, it just didn't seem to jive with what we were hearing or inform our understanding about it. And then we came across this um, this other model called the dual process model for coping with bereavement. And it's uh, from a couple of uh, psychologists uh, in the Netherlands, I believe, um, Hank Shute and Margaret Strobe. And uh, what, just to go over it briefly, what this model holds is that there are two types of stressors that every person experiences after a loss and how someone grieves that loss and their bereavement path is at least in part shaped or determined by how well they can cope with each of these two stressor categories. And so I'll go over those briefly right now. So the first one is loss-oriented stressors and that's a lot what it sounds like. These are this is kind of what we might think of with grief, uh, symptoms of grief. When we're looking back, longing on what was lost, um, replaying events, what happened, regretting decisions along the way, wishing that you would have told your wife or your husband something that you'd always thought but never had told them. Um, a very much a kind of looking back on all that has been lost. And for these guys, it was looking back on the loss of a mother of their child um, and so that's that's one one bucket of stressors the loss oriented stressors the other one is called restoration oriented stressors and these are stresses that arise from the loss itself and that are make moving forward even more challenging and so for these men that could be anything related to being a single parent and having to figure out how to do that having to deal with um, all the things that their wife did around the house that now they have to do on their own, um, looking forward to a life that they had expected and a path that they had imagined that is no more. And so it's really challenges that make grieving hard moving forward, not just the looking back. And mm-hmm. so what the model holds is that we, when we grieve, what we do is we go, we oscillate, we go back and forth between looking back on all that was lost and grieving that 
and then having to meet the challenges moving forward in our new and changed life. And, you know, we heard this, when we read this, we were like, you know, it was like a aha moment for us because right. this is exactly what we heard from the guys, right? That they would go back and forth all day long. They would hear a song on the radio that would remind them of, of their wives and they would, and, and they had to pull over the car and, and, and cry. But then they would have to start the car again because they had to get the kids from daycare, had to get the kids from school. And then they would, you know, their kids would be, you know, eating dinner and there's an empty chair at the table and everyone's reminded of who was lost. But then they got to get the kids baths. Yeah. But but then they're in bed at night and missing their wives. And so it's just constant back and forth of missing what was lost and trying to restore the future. And that just really, really resonated with us. And it resonated with the guys when we explained it to them. We're going to take a brief break. Uh, It's such a good example also of the ability to grieve by looking back because you can't move forward if you don't, and the ability to take a step forward, even though that's quite a challenge. You've been listening to Psych Up Live. We're here with Dr. Justin Yup. He's the author of the book, The Group, which is about seven men who deal with a powerful men's group in the aftermath of losing their young wives and now they're raising their children. We have much more to come. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. Planning for college? Tune in to Getting In, a college coach conversation for tips, techniques, and insider perspectives. Hosted by Elizabeth Heaton, a former admissions officer at the University of Pennsylvania and featuring her fellow admissions and college finance experts from Bright Horizons College Coach. The show shares what colleges are really looking for and how to highlight your hard-won achievements for the best chance at success. New episodes air every Thursday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time, 1 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Join hosts Navanav every week for Good Morning Canada. Our home is Canada, but our message and reach is boldly global. Our focus is on the alternative perspective, the hidden dimension, and the expansive horizon. Ideas are designed to be challenged, perceptions shattered, and information balanced. We invite you to visualize the converse viewpoint. Dare to be inquiring, but always promise an hour of lively fun. Listen worldwide at 12 noon Eastern Time, 9 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. The special needs community is made up of many individuals, from children with Down syndrome to autism and ADHD issues, to those who may have suffered a brain injury. On More Than Special, host Jermaine Suford and her guests explore topics that are of interest to special needs children and adults. Our program is a forum for parents, caregivers, and experts to come together to discuss relevant topics. Listen every Tuesday at 8 a.m. Pacific Time and 11 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Voice America is on your favorite smart speaker. If you have Alexa or Google Home, go ahead and give us a try. Hey, Alexa, play Finding Your Frequency podcast on TuneIn. You 
are listening to Psych Up Live. Join in our conversation today by calling Dr. Suzanne Phillips or her guest at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You may also send an email to radiohostphillips at gmail.com. Now, back to Psych Up Live. Welcome back. We're here with Dr. Yup, and he is the psychologist who, with his co-leader, led the Single Fathers Due to Cancer Support Group. And we're looking closely at some of the amazing things that happened in that group. And when I spoke to Justin before the show, having done women's groups, it occurred to me that the women said to me the same thing that the men said to Justin and Don, which is, the wrong parent died. I don't know how I can do this. I wonder, how did they respond to that, and, and where did where did they go with that, Justin? Yeah, and so that that was actually um, not 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 all the fathers felt that. In fact, the, the first time that I came up in a group, there was a little bit of a disagreement between, or not disagreement, but a little bit of yeah, different points of view between some of the guys that. You know, that's not the right way to look at it, but we had definitely had a, several of the men who felt um, with strong conviction, strong conviction, especially early on, that just what you said, the wrong parent had died and that the moms in their family were the CEOs of the family. They were the emotional bedrock of the family. And um, I'm thinking of a couple of fathers, including uh, Neil, who brought this up one night that said, as far as my kids are concerned, and what would be what have would have been best for them, um, they would have been far better off, in his opinion, if he were to be in the if he were the one that had that had fallen sick and died instead of his wife. Mm-hmm. And you know, and when when he said it that night, he he wasn't looking for pity. He wasn't looking, you know, he he wasn't trying, you know, to 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 solicit some kind of, you know, attaboys. I mean, that's genuinely how he felt. Um, and that's, a, you know, what this is, I mean, this is about the most challenging thing that you can think about anyway. And then if you carry with that the belief that you're a, a, a poor substitute for what your children would have if mom was there instead. Um, and, you know, the, one of the other guys in the group, Carl, told him, his opinion was that you know obviously what the kids needed was what was both parents, but that mm-hmm. wasn't possible anymore. And um, and really encouraged Neil to 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 kind of think about it differently. And to be honest, that night Neil really wasn't having it. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, he he was not looking to be persuaded, um, and he didn't bring it up you know for discussion just or for debate, excuse me, but just to say. That that's that's exactly how he felt, and that his children would be, would have been much better off if he was dead instead of his wife. Mm. Well, the whole idea that they need both parents is interesting because it seems that when we think about it, and many of the men exemplified it, that as a couple they really struck a balance. Like one guy knew he could be the tough guy because she was the softer guy. And so at some point, Justin, I got the feeling, and I had seen this with the women's group, that the group became the vehicle of the balance. It almost was like the wives because as they would explain, it's the anniversary event. I want my 15-year-old to be with us 
together and the kid had something that night. The other fathers were, she's 15. Can you think this through a little? And that might have been just what his wife would have said. So it was, there were so many examples where the group in a loving way really helped balance one of your father's stuck points or one of their tendency to be a little bit too on one side or the other. Yeah, so that's a that's a uh, you put that beautifully. Um that and and that's exactly right. You know, within each marriage and each kind of co-parenting situation there is there's a division of labor and you know, one parent does one thing, one parent does the other and you kind of get your roles a little bit. And and then, you know, as as life partners, they were also sounding boards and and you know, these the husbands realize over time that their wives in a lot of ways would 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 temper some of their you know mm-hmm. kind of um, you know I don't say more extreme but um, the, the father you mentioned Neil uh, or this I'm not like I'm picking on Neil but this is Neil again um, where it was the first anniversary of his wife's death and he had in his mind how he and his four kids should honor it and he had it all planned out and they were going to go to the cemetery and then they were going they were going to um, lay roses or, or release balloons and then we're going to go out to eat at what had been their his wife and their mom's favorite restaurant and when he told his 15 year old daughter the plan told her didn't ask her told her the plan uh his daughter uh was having none of it and she said she already made plans possibly because she did not want to think about it that night uh, mm-hmm. but had made plans to go out with friends to a to a, a, a hockey game and it led to a, a huge fight where they argued that night and and didn't talk for a couple of days and neil came to the group and this was only like the second or third meeting we ever had and let off the session you know kind of before everyone's rear ends hit the seat he said guys i got a problem um here's the situation with my daughter and like you said, you know, the fathers listened and generally gave him the feedback that, you know what, she's 15, she's grieving in her own way, and she may not want how she celebrates or how, not so, how she honors the first anniversary of her mom's passing, passing. She may not want that dictated to her in this way, and she may need to escape it, and that may be what's good for her. And if anyone else would have given Neil that feedback, he would have brushed it off, and he may have even been offended, right? right. He didn't want to, and I don't want to hear that from someone who doesn't know, but these guys got it, right? These right. guys were in the same boat as him. And so he listened to them. He went back to his daughter that night and apologized for kind of steering the ship without getting her input and you know the tempers cooled and they came to a compromise where um they went to visit the cemetery in the afternoon as he had wanted but then instead of going to eat dinner she went out with her friends that evening and mm-hmm. i don't think neil you know it wasn't like it was a, a a great compromise that he felt wonderful about but the crisis passed and it would not have passed and he'll tell you this it wouldn't have passed without that advice that he only really was ready to listen to from people who understood what he was going through. Yeah, the group has great credibility that even the leaders don't yeah. have. I know at one point you say, well, fast forward a minute, when they even start to think of dating, 
you and Don <laughs> step back and let them really, because they had the credibility of being out in that jungle by themselves, of really handling it, which was so respectful. Um, to me, it, it was such a good move. Let's talk about one of the things you shared with the fathers to help them with not blaming themselves too much when they happen to make a mistake. I mean, so in one case, I think a dad hears from his daughter that the teacher bought the kid's shoes, and he's like, oh, my God, what could this school be thinking about a man who doesn't buy his daughter's shoes? So they had, you know, they, they had all these experiences of someone else goes to a wedding, the kid's in pants that don't fit. I mean, it's yeah. humorous, but it's also <laughs> heartbreaking. So... You talk to them about Winnicott's good enough parent. Maybe just give us a little bit of that. Yeah, so Donald Winnicott was a psychologist um, in, the, in the 1900s who came up with this notion of what he at that time termed the good enough mother. And that really was, uh, on, on, based on his insights and his experiences, a, a, a way to give permission to parents, especially mothers during that age, that they did not need to be perfect for their children. In fact, it wasn't even desirable to need to be perfect. And the thought is that if you're the quote-unquote perfect parent and you and you do everything for your kids all the time and you and you kind of protect them in every way possible that kids don't really learn to adapt and they don't learn to cope and they don't learn to self-soothe and they don't learn to kind of manage on their own. And so not only is being a perfect parent in that way impossible, it's also not healthy. Mm-hmm. And so we we shared that with the guys after it became clear that they really were struggling with their parent, parenting self-esteem and and felt like they were you know, having, you know, they were, they they were dropping balls left and right with their kids. And, you know, we, uh, as you mentioned this, I think the best work Don and I did during this whole group was, was to step aside and let the guys Mm -hmm. do their thing. But sometimes we would step in and, 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 and drop a nugget or two. And this one I think actually was helpful for the guys to hear that, it was okay for them to not be perfect. It was okay for them to drop balls and, you know, that they weren't perfect parents before their wives died and there was no way they were going to be perfect parents now. And they didn't need to be. And that kids, you know, their desire to protect and to be there for their kids in every way possible, given that their kids have lost their mom is natural, but that children can take a little bit of, of um of 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 uncertainty and they don't need to have every met every need met every time um and there and you know there there were no shortage of parenting screw up stories to go yes, around the room yeah. uh, but, we we could have filled up a whole session just on those well i think people because we're human parents could each fill their own volumes but the power <clears throat> of what you guys described and I think we all just, the power of a kid hearing a parent say, okay, I think I got to apologize for something. Remember the other day? It's so big because it's a growth mentality. It means we make mistakes, but if we learn from them, how great is that? So you also send the message to your child in life, mistakes are a part of learning. And if the parent's able to do that, and your guys really, they were terrific. They heard the kids say, you didn't tell me about what happened in the hospital with mom. Sometimes it didn't happen till an anniversary event, which was very similar to the women's groups. We came to know that 
sometimes it had to be five years out or three years out before you really feel the level of grief. You, it's like they say, you have to almost be yeah. safe to know where you've been and that that's okay. That doesn't mean anything is not normal. It's very normal. And the fathers having to step sometimes back if they had already resolved things for the kids, it was a growth experience for all of them. Yeah. And I think that, that you, you make those points again beautifully. And I think that was over time kind of a realization for these men that that it was okay to be vulnerable in front of their children um, because I think their natural immediate instinct was to be you know the rock and to be and, and 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 to be there for their kids and not show any vulnerability either in parenting or grief um, or at least try to limit that and you know while while you don't want maybe you don't want your kids finding you every morning in the corner of the room crying uh it's you know it's it's okay and it's healthy to model for the kids what good grief looks like it's okay to model humility it's good to model how to apologize and how to how to reflect on our actions and and take corrective steps when we need to and you know that was not something that these men were in a position to do in the in the immediate weeks or even the months following their wives' death. But over time, as they were able to kind of develop that perspective, with I think the contributions from the group and their conversations, um, the guys would tell you that they became better parents than they were when their wives were alive, whether because they had to or whether because it was a growth opportunity that they that they met. Um, they didn't feel that at first, and they even when they dropped balls, you know, they, they would realize that. But um, these men grew not just as people but as parents. One of my favorite stories about growth is, I think it's Bruce, this man. Now, the listeners have to, everyone will resonate with this. He decides he's going to allow a sleepover party, and you think he has three daughters. <laughs> he ends up with 18 yep. people at the sleepover. They go to a local restaurant. The whole thing works, and he says, and I heard women in my group say, you know, I'm not so sure whatever the wife said, Joan could have pulled this off. <laughs> I, I mean, it was such a wonderful story yeah. of growth, and they all enjoyed it. I, it was one of my favorite stories. Yeah, that was, and that that was one of many. You know, it, that that was a turning point for him. I think that that yeah. evening when, you know, he wasn't sure how he was doing as a dad, and then all of a sudden he was going to have you know just about twenty kids in his house for a sleepover. And that seemed pretty daunting to him. <laughs> to anyone, um, yes. To, to, yeah, it's, it sounds daunting to me, um, and, and even if I did it with my wife. Um, yeah, but that he pulled it off and that he was able to put together a fun night for his girls. Um, yeah, it gave him a little, you know, a little, a, a little pep in his step and a little bit of, okay, I can do this in a way that he couldn't talk himself into. He had to kind of appreciate it by experiencing it. Yeah. Now, um, we, we have a little bit of time to talk about this, and then we'll, we'll take a break and come back. But let's talk about the shift that happens. And, the, and that title of the chapter of the book is The Wedding Rings. So about mm, yeah. a, year, a year in, we have new drama. Yeah, yeah. So, so it was it was a, a little bit of a it was a, a little it became a somewhat of a running joke within the group that like it was kind of a wedding like ring watch within the group about who was 
who was still wearing their their wedding rings and 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 who wasn't. I shouldn't say it was a joke, but it was a it was a a, a thing that they would look at because the the wedding ring was uh, and taking it off was a real uh, a real significant tangible step that each of these guys had to decide on their own when was the right time to do that yes. and you know not only does it did it mean a lot for them in, in, internally to take off a ring that they had had on their fingers for 10 20 years but also what it meant when others would see them without a ring, their kids, their in-laws, mm-hmm. um, and 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 kind of what it meant and what it signified, and it was really hard for some of the guys. And 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 each time that the guys would notice, hey, Steve, you're not wearing your ring, or hey, 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 Joe, looks like you took your ring off. Then the father would tell his story of what compelled him to take it off, mm-hmm. and. A lot of those were, you know, they had some false starts. We we had one guy who who took off his ring and felt comfortable, but then felt naked without it, and 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 put it back on and just couldn't, you know, it felt it felt like closing a chapter on the past and opening yourself up to a new chapter, and that and that kind of significance um, was it, exactly the kind of things that that the group was so valuable for. Um, not only did it give people a, a forum to talk about, you know, these experiences taking off the ring and such, but also in some cases, I think compelled people to do it. Like after you see someone sitting next to you and the group does it, then you start to think about it yourself in a little bit different way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's and a that's really, have to- yeah. We're going to take a break, but it's almost the way that they inched each other forward in terms of growth. That's right. And, and, you know, coming back was was okay. And we're going to talk about that on the other side of the break. You've been listening to Psych Up Live. We're talking with Dr. Yup. He's the clinical psychologist who ran the amazing group, the Single Fathers Due to Cancer Support Group. It comes right from... It's, it's celebrated and discussed in the book that he co-authored with Donald Rosenstein, The Group, Seven Widowed Fathers Reimagine Life. Stay with us. Much more to come. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com you ever experienced the joy of living not just aspects of your life but the true joy of life itself barry shore has you could call him an ambassador of joy from a successful entrepreneur to becoming a quadriplegic due to a rare disease to his ongoing recovery through swimming and physical rehabilitation barry now presents his gifts to others as host of the joy of living All you need to do is tune in. Listen live every Tuesday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time and 1 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Variety Channel. On Read My Lips Radio, producer and host, a.k.a. Radio Red, invites you to eavesdrop on her live, unscripted conversations with smart, savvy, creative people as she discovers what makes them tick, where they find their inspiration, when creativity first became their passion, and how their creative process can inspire the rest of us to think out of the box. Enjoy, a.k.a. Radio Red's always lively, cool conversations with creatives. Mondays at 4 p.m. Pacific Time, 7 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Variety Channel. Oh, how those lips can talk. What are the labels that identify us? Who are we, and how do we figure out our place in the world? Do we own our narrative? If you were to create your biography today, what would it say about you? 
Listen for Dropping In with host Diane Dewey, the author of the award-winning memoir, Fixing the Fates. Diane and her guests will give their version of finding themselves. Find out about your authenticity by dropping in every Friday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time and 8 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. You are listening to Psych Up Live. Join in our conversation today by calling Dr. Suzanne Phillips or her guest at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You may also send an email to radiohostphillips at gmail.com. Now, back to Psych Up Live. Welcome back, folks. We're here with Dr. Yup speaking about the single father's due to cancer support group. And in the interest of time, um, Justin, one of the things that happens is one of the fathers does marry, right? Well, the group. Yeah. So the, he was um, Steve was the first one to leave the group, and you know, and we always told the guy from the very beginning that. You know, this was not a support group that we hoped they would be in in perpetuity, right? <laughs> um, this is not a, a, a lifelong membership, just as long as it was helpful, as long as it, it, it struck a chord with them. And um, and Steve was the first one. He had started dating someone um, and came into group one night and um, announced uh, that he was engaged. And that, that was a, a, a big turning point for the group itself, and it, it really... Um, got people thinking more about dating and, and moving forward in that way. Um, and, 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 you know, we start, like I said, we, at the very beginning of this, that we had planned to meet for six sessions. And as it turned out, by the time we ended the group with this particular group of men, um, we met together with them for just about almost four years. Um, and, you know, during mm-hmm. that time, it, it, especially toward the end, it, it got to be, as, as much about their own grief and figuring out their path forward as it was them helping Don and me develop a program. What started as a support group um, is, is is now a program, and of course you've mentioned the book that, that they're the focus of. Um, and that really was an important aspect for them to to feel like that they were giving back in that way. And that, and that became really meaningful to them. They helped us develop our initial website. They um, allowed us to, uh, you know, to create several videos of them uh, in order to support other widowed parents. When we wrote the book about them, they, um, first of all, they encouraged us to do it. And then when we suggested that we use pseudonyms, um, for their names, they, they came back to us and said, you know, don't you dare, <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, this, this is, yeah, this, you know, we, we're not, we're not embarrassed or ashamed to see people kind of or have people read about us that are most vulnerable. And, um, they insisted that we use their real names and their real stories. And we have a picture of the real men in the front of the book. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that's been really important for them. The, the success of the book and the feedback we've got on it. Um, you know, obviously as Don and I, as the authors has, has meant a lot, but it's really meant the, it's just meant so much to these seven men to know that their experiences and their willingness to share them and, you know, the good times, the bad times, the setbacks, the growths, um, and to hear stories about how that's resonated with people who've read the book, 
um, has 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 been deeply meaningful for these guys. Well, you you quote Victor Frankl's work uh, and the importance of a purpose, yeah. and yep. in terms of happiness and a reason for living. And I think your men really do take up; they really pass forward what they experienced in group. They they almost don't want to stop, but they kind of know that they're they, they're ready to go on. I, I think one man says it for all of them. He said, "We survived, and we're better for it." And then yeah. I think the other important message is that reimagining life did not necessarily mean and doesn't necessarily mean a second marriage. It means living your that's life. Right. Um, that's right. And, 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 so, and, yeah. and that's right. And that's a great point. I'm, I'm glad you brought that up because at some point, I think a lot of the guys thought or kind of fell into the mindset of like the, the goal is to remarry. And I think that's reinforced from the public and maybe their yes. loved ones like, you know, oh, if you're, if you're dating and you're remarrying, then that means you're whole again and you're okay. Um, and the truth is, and the guys in the group who have gotten married will will tell you to this day that they still grieve, that mm-hmm. they still they still miss their wives, they still you know have their moments about their wives, even as they've created new lives for themselves, and that healing and getting better does not mean the absence of grief and sadness, and and for these men, dating and getting remarried again was not the same as as, oh, now I'm whole again, and now I'm, I'm doing better. And we've, you know, about half the group has remarried, um, and, and, and that's wonderful. That's been their path, but that's, that's not the goal. Um, and I'm, I'm really glad you mentioned that because, I, 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 and to be honest, I think even Don and I kind of fell into that early on um, before we realized and the men realized, okay, that, you know, that's not the goal. That's not the mission or the, or the symbol of healing here. It may come along with that, or it may not. Um, mm-hmm. But that, but but yeah, I'm I'm, I'm glad you brought that up. So, well, well, I think that's testament to the power of a group like this. That the men use the group and each other to start to integrate a whole self after a piece of their heart has been sort of taken out. They change also the relationship with the deceased. It becomes an, an, a kind of enduring presence. These women yeah. stay with these men in their heads and their hearts. And I think at one point you talk a lot about the need to talk about the wives and tell the stories of the wives and keep them very much a presence to the children. And how much the children, I think at one point early in the book, I think the father, oh yes, he. I think he changed a chair. He replaced the chair. <laughs> and the yeah. kids were like, where is mom's chair? And that was such yeah. a good example of the enduring presence of the partner and the mother. So it's such a, it's a, the book really speaks to healing in a way that's not as we're saying, we'll just find someone else and get the kids a new mother or get yourself a new wife. It's not that way. It was right. all the steps. It, yep. And, and that's, the, and, and that was the value that these men showed us, you know, that we, were with them and, and they taught us for the period of four years and the, and, and the book generally covers that time span is that you see all the, all the, all the ups and downs and the back and forth and the, and the, and the nuances of grief that um, are, I, I think hard or maybe impossible to appreciate unless you've either been through it or, or walked along someone alongside someone who has. Um, and, and again, what, what you say is right. So I, I can tell you're a, you you are you, you're a sharp read on this book. You you really got a lot out of it, and uh, I really loved it because I really yeah, resonated well, I, with it. Yeah, 
Uh, yeah, but you it's you good. you pay attention to it, and you're you're obviously very intuitive in this. So that's 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 cool to hear. Well, I'll tell all listeners with the picture of the men in the front and hearing their stories. You're with them. You just with. Um, you're with the, the leaders, you're with them, and it's very, very valuable. So now, these men helped you do some things that our listeners could access. Tell us about the website, the film, yeah. the shows. Yeah, and so it, since the, we started with the men, which is really a support group for men, men fathers whose wives or partners had died from cancer, we've now expanded um, into a, a, both working with mothers and fathers who have lost a spouse or a partner, regardless of how that person died. And so we're, we've developed into the program. We've done um, three research projects. We've published uh, about a, maybe 12 to 15 um, articles in the, in, in the literature now that really has been overlooking this population. Um, and we have a website. It's called widowedparent.org. Um, it's for moms and dads who are raising kids on their own after after losing their their partner or spouse and it's um if you click on it you'll see some of the there's there's some text but there's a lot of videos and the videos feature the stars of the show and that's the men from the first group and the women who have been in our subsequent groups um and it's really you know our hope is that a widowed mom or dad can come across this view this and feel a little bit less alone and get a little bit of guidance and get some traction on moving their lives forward. And it's not a, it's not a how to, just like the book's not a how to it's, um, griefs, griefs, not that simple or straightforward for us to tell you how to do it. Um, but it's, it's hopefully instructive. The website is instructive, um, just from, uh, some of the guidance we give and then also hearing from the moms and dads who, who, who speak of their experiences. Terrific. Now, how about the book? Tell us a little about the um, the book, the proceeds, and how people can find it. That's great. Yeah. So it's as you said, the group Seven Widowed Fathers Reimagine Life, and it's not a how-to, and it's not a book for fathers necessarily. It's a book about the widowed fathers, but it's mm-hmm. uh, hopefully for a, a, a much yes. broader population. And 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 that. All the proceeds from the book that um, that Don and I receive, we just put straight back into our program, and that contributes to our research. It contributes, frankly, to buying pizza and subs for our for our yes. support group meetings, and and some of the uh, other overhead costs. And um, but but we don't keep a penny. It's you know it's really the story of these men, and there was no way that we were gonna. Um, profit off that and so uh, and the book can be found anywhere obviously amazon and um and and bookstores and um you know we're 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 proud of it and the the seven men whose whose lives are told in it are more importantly proud of it um Mm -hmm. as they should be so a message you would send a really quick message to our listeners justin you know i i think I think one message. I mean, there's a lot of them, right? But I, I think one is to if you are if you are grieving, if you are alone, then it's really really easy to feel isolated, and it's really easy to feel like you're the only one in the world who knows what's going on, and you're not. And if you can connect with people who have been in a similar boat, even if it's not the same one, but a similar boat to you, like these men did and the other men and women in our subsequent groups have, that is just invaluable. And it may take the the form of a formal support group like this. It may take reaching out and connecting with someone and meeting for coffee. 
but you do not have to go through this alone. And there's a lot of value in reaching out and going through it with someone else, even if they're reaching out and even if the break in the ice is, is, is really scary to think about it at the beginning. Um, and I think we just don't have to Great. go through stuff alone. Thank you so much. Dr. Justin Yep, I want to thank you for being our guest on Psych Up Live today and and for all of your work with so many people who you've touched and whose lives you've really helped move along after tremendous loss and tragedy. Thank you so much for coming on. Thank you, Sue. Okay, I want to thank my listeners. Remember, you can hear this and any prior show as a podcast on my host site, my website. This will be a podcast, this show we just did by 6 p.m. Eastern tonight, and then it will be on all the apps for podcasts, iTunes, Stitcher, Apple, TuneIn, Google Play, you name it, it'll be on that. Drop me a comment or a question at radiohostphillips at gmail.com. But until next week, please be safe, wear masks. Thank you, and be listening. Thank you for tuning in to Psych Up Live. Please join Dr. Suzanne Phillips for another edition of our programming next Thursday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Until then, be well and be listening.